Welcome to Oyana, a teenager's journey to self-love. Our mission is to inspire, educate and empower, helping teenagers and parents to navigate through life and connect with their inner self. I'm your host and transformational life coach, Carol Oakley, and thank you for tuning in. And I hope you're all well out there. And um, I'm always grateful, you know, that you've taken the time out to listen, listen in despite your busy schedule. Now, I'm really excited about today's guest. I have uh, Dr. Michelle May. Now, Michelle is a former family physician, recovered yo-yo dieter, founder of Am I Hungry? Mindful Eating Programs and Training, and author of the Eat What You Love, Love What You Eat book series that teaches mindful eating to help individuals resolve mindless and emotional eating and senseless yo-yo dieting to live the vibrant life they crave. So yes, you've guessed it. She's here to talk about mindful eating. So without further ado, let me say hello to Michelle. Hi, Michelle. How are you doing? I'm great, Carol. So glad to have this conversation with you. Oh, you're more than welcome. You're more than welcome. So how are things in uh, Arizona? Because you're in Arizona, aren't you? Very hot right now. We're uh, breaking some heat records around uh, 200, I mean, 115, 116, 117 degrees Fahrenheit. So oh, wow. Hot, hot. Wow. Well, it's, it's very, it's, well, it's cool here in comparison. You know, we did have a spell of hot weather last week, um, but it's a bit cooler here now. I, I think it's where in the... I don't know, I think maybe sort of late, um, late 60s, 60 Fahrenheit's around that at the nice. moment. So it's very, it's very cool here. Yeah, nice. which is nice. I do enjoy it. I do love the sunshine. You know, I do. I'm a bit of a sun baby. But hey, you know, it's, it's one of those things. Hopefully we'll get that sunshine back again and that heat. Now, Michelle, you know, I just like, you know, like going with the flow. I mean, it's all about us having a great conversation, you know, so let's just go with the flow and see where, where it takes us. Perfect. Sounds great. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. So first of all, Michelle, can you sort of tell our listeners a little bit about your background, please? Well, I'm, I was really excited to have the invitation from you because my journey started when I was a teenager, actually, maybe even a little bit earlier I uh, came from a very food focused family. You know, we loved to eat. My grandmothers were both amazing cooks. And I think I learned early on as my parents were going through relationship difficulties that food made me happy, made me feel better. And so early on, I kind of learned to use food to manage some of my uncomfortable emotions. And then of course, when I hit my teens and body awareness and body image issues started creeping in. I started dieting, which started the path of yo-yo dieting, which eventually became what I would define as disordered eating, meaning that my relationship with food had gotten out of whack. And I was using food when, you know, when I was uncomfortable and then using dieting to make up for that. And then going back to overeating so that was a long, long journey for me. I, I did that all the way through high school, college, and wow. even into medical school and into my private practice. So many, many years, even though other areas of my life were going really well, my relationship with food was out of balance. So my passion now is helping other people 
figure out what's going on and what to do about that. And part of that has been to write a book for young adults and college students. And I actually teach at Arizona State University where I work with students around mindful eating. Wow. So what is mindful eating? Because, I mean, eating is a natural and healthy and pleasurable activity. And it should be, shouldn't it? You know, it's supposed to be all those things to help us satisfy our hunger and to fuel the body. So, so what is mindful eating? Well, I mean, I completely agree with you. Eating is a natural, healthy activity. And when we're born, we have the ability to manage our eating pretty much effortlessly. Obviously, at a very young age, we're not in control of what we, what we eat. Even as a teenager, we may be limited by what our parents are able or willing or are, are providing for us. But nonetheless, I think ultimately, we, if we can remember that we have the instinctive ability to trust our body wisdom about how to feed ourselves and when to feed ourselves, mindful eating is really about tuning into that. So a good definition of mindful eating is eating with intention and attention. So okay. purpose and awareness. Mm -hmm. So if I am eating with the purpose of fueling my body, nourishing my body, enjoying my food, then I can have that healthy, natural relationship you were talking about. If my purpose for eating is to change my body size or be good or eat the right food, then my relationship with food might come out of balance. It might start to feel like it's a chore. It may, may be difficult for me. And what we know about eating, because it is such a primal a drive for us mm -hmm. is that when we try to restrict and deprive ourselves of food, the body's, body's self-defense mechanisms kick in. We feel hungrier, food looks better. It's harder to know when we've had enough. It's harder to stop eating. And so what I find is a lot of us who've struggled with food lose that natural ability to manage our eating effortlessly. And mindful eating is a wonderful pathway back. Wow. God, you'd never, I mean, again, you, you know, mindful eating and I completely get what you're, what you're saying, but you know, some, most of the time we just eat, don't we? Because it is for, for pleasure. You know, we don't um, eat because it is to fuel our body. And I think when you, when you are present to that, I think your food should taste even better because you're, you're eating with intention. You're, you're, you're conscious of what you're eating. You're, you're, um, you're grateful of the, you know, the, the foods and the, the, the vitamins and the nutrients that you're, that you're getting. But when you're just eating, it just kind of, you don't enjoy it really, don't, do you? It's just well, You know, think about how often we are thinking about food, thinking about that next meal or that snack. And then mm. we have it in front of us and we immediately pick up our phone and start scrolling, scrolling through social. Yeah. Like the minute we have the food in front of us, we forget that we were excited about it a minute ago. And then mm. we eat as though we can't wait to get, get it over with, or it isn't important enough for our attention. Yeah. And to your point, when we're, the brain is an amazing organ, but as much as we like to think that we can multitask, that's not really what's happening. What's happening is the brain may go on autopilot, putting a fork full after fork full of food in our mouths, 
but the brain itself is focused on social media or the television show that you're watching or whatever you're reading. And so the brain doesn't really experience the food fully. So mm. that's why you can get to the end of a meal and not feel satisfied, even if your um. body is physically full. So sometimes we want more because we never really tasted the other bites that we ate. Wow. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that happening. I really can. Because I remember I did, um, it was just a, a, a um, like fasting, you know, it was just for a day. I kind of went through a period. I thought, you know what, I'm going to fast for one day for six weeks. It was June Lent. I thought, you know, because I like a bit of a challenge. And I remember when I, you know, the following day when it was time for me to kind of get back into, you know, obviously to break my fast, when the first piece of food I had, I remember I had this papaya fruit and my goodness, it was like the best papaya fruit I ever had because I, I appreciated that. I think my taste buds as well, obviously, had changed or was just ready to accept this beautiful fruit and taste. And um, it was such a, a, a really beautiful experience to really enjoy the fruit for what it was because I was really present to it. Yes. My grandmother used to say, hunger is the best seasoning. <laughs> this idea that if we're hungry, then food truly holds our attention. It, it really draws us to it. Unfortunately, in our abundant food environment and, yeah. and diet culture, I think a lot of times it's, we get separated from that natural instinctive ability to eat, to fuel our bodies, to pay attention and fully enjoy it. And I think there's so much guilt and conflict associated with food these days for many people, yeah. especially younger people that it's, it's hard. Like you're thinking the whole time you're eating, should I be eating this? Oh, yeah. this is bad for me. And I, you know, I think part of this part of mindful eating that I, I really find helpful is to move away from defining foods as good or bad and really seeing that all foods can fit into a balanced diet. And what's I agree about that yeah. is that when you're not making foods bad, uh, when guilt is no longer a factor, common sense prevails, mm. you know, the desire to eat the whole package of cookies goes away because the first two or three taste great. The fourth one, not so much. And if you stop eating, then you'll still have them for tomorrow if you want them again. Yeah, I totally agree. That's always been my thing, you know, cause, um, when I, I mean, with diets, I always, or I always had my thing about them. Cause I just thought, you know what, at the end of the day, I mean, you know, I don't want to generalize here, but I just think that you should just to your point, we should be able to eat what we want, but it's in moderation. I've always think you can eat what you want, but it's definitely, you know, it's being mindful of what you eat and do it in moderation. Right. And moderation is so much easier yeah. when you're not thinking of food in terms of extremes. Have you heard the term yo-yo dieting? Not until I, yeah, not until you told me. Yeah. yeah I mean, it, think about this. So a yo-yo is up or yeah. down uh -huh. You're on the diet or you're off the diet. Mm. And here's the problem with that. A yo-yo doesn't stop in between. You're either being good or being bad or, or getting ready for your vacation or on vacation, right? There's these extremes. And so that kind of a model is so challenging when you're talking about being, you know, eating in a way that feels pleasurable and, and free. 
So people have difficulty with moderation when they're thinking in these extremes. So I like to think instead of a yo-yo about a pendulum. So yeah, sometimes you may, you may eat a little healthier, sometimes not so much. Sometimes you might eat a little bit more. It's a great food or a big event. And so there, there are maybe sometimes extremes, but a pendulum has a middle. When you're talking about moderation, what you're talking about is having a range of eating that works beautifully for you. Mm. That isn't somebody else's rules. You're not having to look anything up or log it into an app. You're just aware of how your body responds to certain foods and you eat in a way that leaves you feeling better when you're done eating than you did when you started. That's what I really want to help people with is finding that little arc in the middle. Wow. Love that. Love that. I mean, what what are the common triggers for young people? I mean, how do you get them to move on from where they are? You know, those who are, you know, obviously dealing with um, cha- you know, food challenges or diet challenges. Yeah. So, so many. So I like to think of them in, in three big categories. Yeah. Uh, one is environmental. So we're surrounded by food. Maybe we have cues for eating like the time of day or the time of year, seasonal cues. Mm-hmm. We've also developed a lot of associations. So before I became a doctor, my undergraduate degree was in psychology oh, okay. and you probably learned about Pavlov, you know, the mm-hmm. dogs, you feed the dogs, ring the bell and measure how much they salivate. And eventually you don't have to feed them. All you have to do is ring the bell and they salivate. That's it. <laughs> We have so many bells, right? We have developed all of these associations. Oh, I'm at the movies. I eat popcorn. I'm at a ball game. I eat hot dogs or whatever. I mean, it's different for everybody. So that's one, that's one category of triggers are these associations that we've developed. Mm. Another category is physical triggers. So commonly people will confuse thirst with hunger. So they'll eat instead of having a drink of water. Um, being tired is a big trigger. So feeling exhausted. And so we're eating to stay awake. This might happen for a young person who's trying to study, for example. Mm. Um, and then of course, pain or discomfort, physical discomfort. Sometimes we, we eat to feel better. And then the other big category is emotional triggers. Mm. And it's interesting because it's the whole range of emotions. We might eat to celebrate. We might eat to reward ourselves for getting through the day. And we may eat when we're feeling sad or depressed or stressed or lonely or bored, right? Like this full range. I think it's really important to understand that emotional eating is part of normal eating. From the moment we're born, our our parents you know, cuddle us or our caregivers cuddle us and feed us. So we learn at a very early age to associate eating with comfort. Mm. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, through cultures throughout the world, use food to connect with family and friends and to celebrate and to mourn and to love. And so emotional eating itself is not a problem. It just becomes more of an issue for people when they are using food instead of recognizing their emotions and their needs. And so they may not really be fully taking care of themselves if they're eating to feel better all the time. And I have to add that there's a a very strong emotional trigger that most people don't realize. 
and that's restriction and deprivation. Okay. So when we are restricting our, our diet for some reason, that can begin to drive overeating or even binge eating. And so I really work a lot with my students at ASU to help them understand how, even if the intention is I want to eat healthier, if you're doing it in a way that's not moderate and not sustainable, it could actually have exactly the opposite effect. So what does that look like, you know, in do it in, in, you know, in moderation and how do you, how do you, I mean, I'm sure this must probably take another episode, but in just, if you can just summarize on what, you know, what sort of techniques you, you know, you, you teach them. Well, one good place to start, of course, mindfulness in general, not just mindful eating, but mindfulness is awareness. It's noticing what's happening in the present moment without judgment. And a great place to start with mindful eating, even if you don't have a really difficult relationship with food, but you just want to improve your own awareness around what you're doing and why, whenever you feel like eating, pause for a minute, moment, mm. not enough to be a full minute, pause for a moment and check in with yourself. Ask yourself, am I hungry? In other words, is my body telling me that my fuel levels are getting low? So it would be like uh, driving down the highway and seeing a, a gas station, a fuel station, and checking your fuel gauge to decide whether to pull off or not. Yes. All you're doing is saying, do I really need to get off right now and fill up or can I keep going for a while? Mm. So asking the question, am I hungry is really about noticing what signals your body is giving you maybe hunger pangs or growling or an empty stomach, maybe irritability or hangry. You heard the term hangry. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I've certainly experienced it. And so when we notice these physical symptoms, then we're like, okay, my body needs fuel. Then we can move on to the next decision, which is deciding what to eat. If my body doesn't need fuel, now I have a different set of decisions to make. One of those choices might be to go ahead and eat anyway, to say, mm -hmm. you know, I know I'm not hungry, but I'm bored and eating is something to do and I'm going to do it. And, and that's actually really important for that to still be a choice. Because if you say, well, I'm not hungry, I'm not allowed to eat. Now that's restriction. And that can be very triggering. Yeah. If you, if you decide, no, I'm not going to eat right now, you could redirect your attention to doing something else until hunger comes. Or if you suspect that it might be some emotional trigger, you could say, okay, what's really going on right now? What's happening? Oh, I'm bored. Well, eating is something to do. And I have this other huge list of things that I could do that I enjoy. And I'm going to do that for now, or I'm stressed. So maybe I want to do something that calms my nervous system, take some deep breaths or connect mm. with a friend or, you know, um, uh, other things that you find comforting and, and nourishing. So it's not about not eating. It's about recognizing the signals that our body is giving us so that we can start to respond more effectively toward those signals and, and ultimately practice better self-care. Got you. Got you. Is there like a start, I guess everyone's different, but 
it, it seems like the common um, sort of time frame to eat is like every, is it like every four hours or when you have, you know, you have your breakfast and then it's like lunchtime is at 12, one o'clock and then dinner, dinner's at, I don't know, five, six o'clock or whatever. Is that, is that true? You know, it's like every four hours you should eat. I mean, have you heard well, that? Have I, I, I made believe, that up? <laughs> I don't believe you should at all. I'm not a big fan of having artificial external rules about eating. Yeah. Um, in fact, what's amazing about the, this process of mindful eating is that as we begin to tune in and ask ourselves these questions and notice the body symptoms, we get better at knowing when we need to eat instead of eating by a schedule. Okay. So sometimes you see in diet, eat every three hours, whatever you do, don't let yourself get hungry. And that's actually, I think, counterproductive because what we really need to learn is how to listen to and trust our bodies, not be afraid of hunger. I think that rule comes from the fact that sometimes, especially young people might ignore hunger at first and then get too hungry. And once you're really, really, really hungry, famished, you're you're, you don't have glucose in your brain and you're not making the best decisions. And you might find yourself eating uh, something you wouldn't have ordinarily eaten or eating too fast or eating too much because you're, you've allowed yourself to get overly hungry. So rather than eating on a schedule every four hours, check yes. in. If it's been four hours, pause for a minute and check in. Is my body hungry? Is it telling me that I need fuel? What happens is that when we're eating, when we're hungry and we're stopping, when we're satisfied, instead of eating, whatever's in front of us, that depending on what you ate might last you three or four hours or five hours, but it does depend on what you eat. Certain macronutrients, uh, proteins, specifically fat to a certain extent last longer. Once you start to notice that in your body, you can use that information to help you adapt what you eat to fit your schedule. If you've got classes and you're not going to be able to eat in four hours, you might be really careful to eat a protein in your breakfast so that you can last, or maybe you take a protein snack or some almonds or something with you so that you can last a little bit longer. So ultimately being mindful about this allows you to adjust your eating. So it fits with your life instead mm. of you checking your clock to decide when you're supposed to eat. Got you. Got you. Wow. That's, I mean, I completely get what you're saying. And, and I think, you know, for our older teens, you know, for anyone's out there, I can see that working, but for our younger teens, let's say our, you know, the 13 year olds, you know, what, advice would you can you give to um like their parents to you know for maybe uh, any children that are you know that's conscious of um like playing playstation like they're at their playstation they're constantly at their playstation and they're snacking constantly snacking for the sake of snacking you know um for I emotional reasons my my children when they were younger <laughs> Well, so here's the thing, you know, I think the best thing parents can do is remember that their children were born with the instinctive ability to know when they're hungry and to know when they're full. So the earlier parents really start listening to and paying attention to that, the better. The mistake that we make as parents sometimes is yeah. 
we start trying to direct what our kids eat. We do things like you have to eat all your dinner or mm. you don't get dessert. Now, what have we done? We've made dinner the yucky food and the dessert the reward. And so we've started to take food and put it into good and bad categories. Mm -hmm. Another thing that we do as parents is forcing children to clean their plate. Well, if you are overriding your child's instinctive ability to know when they're full, then of course, in our abundant food environment, they're going to eat whatever shows up and whatever comes to them. So yeah. we, we really, as parents need to respect that our kids really do know when they're hungry and when they're full. Mm -hmm. However, kids are like the rest of us and yeah. we enjoy eating. We like certain foods and certain foods are delicious and it can be very easy to get into a mindless snacking habit. Yes. So as a parent, you might need to sit down and have a family meeting and decide, Hey, you know, we don't enjoy food as much when we're mindless and doing another activity. It's easy to play it. Well, it's not that easy to play a video game and to eat, but we might find ourselves eating a lot more when we're not actually paying attention to it. As a family, can we agree that we eat at the table, not in the living room in front of the television? Is this something that we can do? And then we can really enjoy it. I'm a big believer in family meals yes. because there's nothing better than having a great meal and a great conversation. Definitely. Along with it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a great time. That's a great way to reward children. Um, now teenagers maybe don't want to sit with their family so much, but mm. that's part of this is building that family tradition early so that as kids get older and they need you even more, even when their lives get busier, you have already established that family meal time is a time when we connect with each other. Mm -hmm. Now, look, sometimes it's not possible for that to be an evening meal. Maybe you've got sports activities or That's a parent it. has two jobs. It could be breakfast. It could be an afternoon snack. It could be uh, something you do together on the weekends. It, it doesn't matter. Be flexible with what works for your family, but prioritizing eating and being together can really lay the groundwork for a healthy relationship with food. Here's my thing, Carol. I remind <laughs> parents all the time, we're not raising children. We're raising, raising adults. adults. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. What about the, cause obviously teenagers, they like staying up quite late. You know, I'm thinking about my, my son here, you know, at the weekends again, is there, you know, obviously it's not, not being kind of uh, restrictive, but surely you sh we should be um, advising them not to eat too late. You know, it, it, again, what, what, where would you, I mean, where would you, where would you draw the line if there is a line? Well, it's certainly appropriate for a parent to decide what the boundaries should be. Yeah. Um, I like the idea, the older the teenager is, the more response ability they have mm -hmm. for their, um, for their decisions. So rather than me as a parent saying, you shouldn't stay up so late, you shouldn't eat, you should, you know, now I'm, you know, doing this to them and you know what happens to teenagers, right? Like uh, they just shut rebellious, down. Rebellious, so yeah. Pretend they're listening and then they do what they're going to do anyway. Yeah. <laughs> right, teens, aren't you? <laughs> so what I prefer to do is to say, gosh, you know, it seemed like you were up kind of late last night. How are you feeling? You know, uh, fine. 
I'm tired, you know, whatever. And, and helping them to start to become more mindful of the effects of the choices that they made, mm. not in a punitive way, but this is the thing. Teenagers are smart. And if we can encourage them to notice how they, how their body responds when they stay up too late or they eat too late, or they eat too much of, of a certain food rather than us saying, see, I told you so, or you shouldn't be doing that. They start to go, Oh yeah. When I ate too much of that, I did not feel good. Maybe Mm -hmm. next time I'll eat less of it so that they are starting to build the awareness and the feedback that helps them take care of themselves better. Yeah, that's brilliant advice. I love that. I'll definitely try that. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you. Now, um, Michelle, in this kind of, um, I don't know, obsessed uh, culture that we live, live in, in terms of image, are you finding um, the students that come to you are, are getting younger and younger in terms of, you know, dieting and, them being conscious about their, you know, their, their, yeah. their, their weight. Yeah. I, I, I really wish that our culture wasn't so weight focused. I think it's caused a lot of harm. Mm. Um, we know that dieting is not effective for changing a person's body size. And in fact, probably most of the time it backfires. Yeah. Um, I think we're not we're just, I think our culture, unfortunately, sort of projects a very narrow image of what is beauty and health and success. And I think one of the things that I love about teenagers today is many of them have a much broader view of diversity and what's good in the world. I think, unfortunately, weight hasn't sort of happened for that yet. People still tend to judge people by their body size. And that's really unfortunate because it's very hurtful and harmful. So if there's a parent or a teenager out there listening, if you could really just cause yourself to notice when you're judging another person's body or your own body by any external characteristic and just say, you know, I don't, this, this doesn't fit for me. I don't like the way this feels to be judging another person and to really move toward compassion and, and toward acceptance of all bodies. I think that's a much gentler place to be. Yeah. Yeah. That's such beautiful advice. I mean, you obviously, you have some really powerful strategies that you teach, what others, what kind of strategies do you kind of teach? Um, I know you, you mentioned some earlier, but is there anything else that you'd like to share with us? Oh, absolutely. Um, actually, one of the things that I developed early, I've been doing this work now for over 20 years. And one of the things I developed early on that I use to this day, my whole mm-hmm. uh, college course is structured around this, the mindful eating cycle. Yeah. And it consists of six decision points that allow us to start to look more mindfully at why we do what we do. So it starts with why am I eating in the first place? When do I feel like eating? What do I eat? How do I eat it? In other words, how do I get it into my body mindfully or, or quickly or distracted? Uh How much do I eat? In other words, when do I stop eating? And last, where do I invest my energy? How do I use the fuel that I've consumed to live my life? 
So those six decision points, why, when, what, how, how much, and where, give us a structure for beginning to look at our eating and improving our eating where we need to. Let's say, for example, that somebody doesn't really struggle with emotional eating, uh, but they want to eat more balanced in a more balanced way. They would start to focus on the what decision point. They would start to focus in on, okay, how, you know, what changes could I experiment with? I'm not, I'm not one for massive overhauls that are unsustainable, yes. but is there one small change? For example, sometimes what comes up in my college students is, yeah, I drink a lot of soda. You know, I'm drinking three, four sodas a day. I'm going to work on cutting back to two and see how I feel, see how that goes. Great. Do that. Just one thing at a time, see how you do and see if there's any positive effects from that. And if there is, then make your next decision. So really the mindful eating cycle structure gives us the opportunity to focus where our energy and attention is needed. Brilliant, brilliant. And your students, how old are they? What's the minimum age that you do? do you, well, um... it's, a, it's a college course. So most of them are at least 17, 18 years old and, and then up into their mid 20s. Sometimes I'll get an older student, mm-hmm. um, but they are older students. Um, I want, I was a family doctor and have a family of my own. Yes. So I want to create a mindful eating program for families one day. But you know what I've realized, Carol, is that I don't really need to teach kids how to eat. I need to help their parents learn how to eat so that they don't teach their kids things that are going to cause them problems later. Yeah. So ultimately it's, it's us as parents that really need the training in order to, first of all, overcome our own hangups with food mm. and to learn what words we're using that might be, um, counterproductive, so to speak. Yeah. And also begin to, to be much more supportive you know, learning that we shouldn't be using dessert or, or sweets as a reward or saying, you know, good foods and bad foods. And also to not, to not be talking about our body weight or our body size or wanting to lose weight in front of our kids. They don't need that message from their parents Mm. that they are getting plenty of that from social media uh, all the time. We need to, we need to create a home where children can feel 100% safe in their own bodies. Yeah, brilliant. Absolutely love that. Absolutely love that. Um, resources, are there any resources that you can share, you know, with our listeners? Yeah, for my work, um, my book, Eat What You Love, Love What You Eat for Students is a great place to start. Um, it would be appropriate for yeah, 14, 15, up okay. and through young adulthood. So, and, and it would be something that maybe a parent could read, but it's really written for the student themselves, the, okay. you know, the, 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 the teenager or young adult themselves. It's written with lots of stories and lots of examples. Uh, many of the examples are, are students who are independent, meaning they're living away from home now. Mm. So some of the ideas might need to be adapted if you're still dependent on your parents for your meals. But as, as students grow, they, they're, they're choosing their meals at school and away from, away from home. And so I think it's a great place to start. 
That book is on our website at amihungry.com. Mm-hmm. And in the little search window, just put in the word students okay, and that'll open up and you can download the first chapter. You know, that mindful eating cycle mm-hmm. I was talking yeah. about, you can download that chapter for free and learn about the mindful eating cycle and see if it's cool. something that might help you. I think that first chapter is a great place to start. Wonderful. If you have youngers, younger kids in your family, uh, there's an author named Ellen Satter, S-A-T-T-E-R, mm-hmm. who writes about younger, about, about parenting younger children around food. And her work is highly respected. She's been doing she's been working in this area for a long, long time. And she might be a good a good uh, resource to look up if you're if you're in that situation. Brilliant, 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 brilliant. I'll definitely look look them up. You know that's that's fantastic, um, Michelle. Now, what is your? This is I'm going on to my big life questions now. What is what is your proudest moment besides my own? <laughs> Oh yeah. man, <laughs> my daughter just got married in June. She had a, a downsized COVID wedding. It was fabulous. Um, if it per, in my personal life, it really truly is my, my two children who are now adults. My husband happens to be a professional chef. Oh, Both wow. my kids love to cook. And during COVID they learned how to make bread and tortillas and lovely and all kinds of, you know, homemade food and I've really loved watching them come into adulthood and all the things that we've been talking about here. I just see, I see it manifesting in them. Professionally, it has been in helping other people heal their relationship with food. And one of my messages for teens or or young adults who are struggling is sometimes our greatest struggles become our greatest gifts. Mm. I, I wouldn't trade all those years of disordered eating for anything because it eventually gave me the compassion and this, and the awareness and the passion for helping other people heal their relationship with food too. So when I see people begin to actually live that big, vibrant life, I, it makes me so proud and happy. So you should be God. How many people roughly do you think you've helped? (laughs) Thousands, (laughs) thousands and thousands. thousands, Carol. Wow. Keynote speaker. I run workshops. I run retreats. Now I have these classes at ASU. And here's the other thing is I have a training program. So we've had nearly 800 health and wellness professionals who've been trained to offer these programs in their own communities and their own practices. Amazing. So it's not just me. There are lots and lots of other people that are able to, to teach this or coach around this. And I love that because it's, it's not about me at all. It's about reaching as many people as we can. Yeah. Well, you've got to come to England. You've got to come to the England. I'd love to come back to England. <laughs> come back to you England. You've got it. Let's stay in touch. I would absolutely love that. Oh, so. I'd love that as well. I'd love that as well. Just a couple more questions. Um, I mean, you touched upon on this um, in your last uh, answer, but what is the biggest lesson life has taught you? Hmm. Well, let me give a different answer since I partially answered that earlier. Yeah. I, I was a physician. I, I started out thinking that that was going to be my career path. And I loved that work. It gave me so much, so much knowledge and experience that's been very important in my current work. 
but I am really grateful that I was able to, at some point, realize that it wasn't truly my passion. And I was able to say, okay, now next, this is what I'm going to do. I think sometimes we get stuck doing something because we think we should, Mm. and not really because it's our passion. It's really what we're supposed to be doing. And so I, I love that that, you know, we can all have the opportunity to really listen deeply to what we're supposed to be doing, like you doing this work and, and follow that passion and, and reach out and do things that, that you really love, because what's the trite saying, when you love what you do, you don't work a day in your life. That's it. That's how I feel. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you on that. I'm definitely with you on that. And uh, what three tips? I know you've given so many pieces of advice, but what three tips or pieces of advice would you give a teenager or young adult? Well, we haven't talked much about movement, yes. um, physical movements. So let me let me make that one of them. And that is don't use exercise to punish yourself for eating. Movement is so good for us in so many different ways. So make it your job to find physical activities that you love, Mm. whether it's team or individual sports, or whether it's walking or running, whether it's yoga or dance or pickleball or whatever. I mean, find something that you really love to do, because if you can include movement regularly in your life, the benefits will pay off for your entire life. Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely, definitely, definitely. And um, just to add here, you've also, I think it's worth mentioning, you said that, you know, diets lead to deprivation, cravings and binging. Um, Bodies can be healthy and beautiful in all shapes and sizes. I like that. And mindful eating, joyful activity and intentional self-care are keys to well-being. And I think that's 100%, 100%. And um, what's the most important message you'd like to leave with us today? Well, I'll, I'll focus it on mindful eating, which is yeah. basically just eat with the intention of feeling better when you're done than you did when you started. If you set that simple intention, it will help you choose the food you eat. It will help you eat it in a way that's satisfying and joyful and enjoyable. And it will help you stay tuned into your body to notice when you've had enough, because once you've had enough food, then you can use that fuel to go do other things that you love to do, whether it's playing video games or, or, or science or reading or connecting with your friends. The purpose of eating is to fuel living. So don't use all your energy thinking about what you should and shouldn't eat. Use your energy to live the big vibrant life you crave. Amazing. What a wonderful way to end the show oh thank you michelle that was great yeah my pleasure carol thank you for the opportunity to share this i hope it i hope it helps somebody and i'd love to hear oh, from you all out there i'm sure i'm sure it will it definitely helped me i, I learned lots <laughs> I awesome. learned lots. perfect that was, it was a fun conversation so nice to talk to you oh likewise and keep doing amazing things you know it was a true honor to have you on, on my show and i really appreciate you Thank you. Thank you. Right back at you. And how can I, I know you mentioned obviously your website earlier, but do you want to mention it again, how our listeners can connect with you? Yeah, absolutely. The yeah. easiest way is amihungry.com. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. uh, for speaking, it's michellemaymd.com. Okay. Um, but my books are out there and uh, my website, Am I Hungry, has loads of free articles and tools and all kinds of things. I mean, you could spend a couple of days on there and oh, yeah. never spend a cent, but learn <laughs> lots and lots. So great. Great. Sounds like my my site. I will definitely be checking it out in depth. I have done awesome. already, but I'm going to definitely check it out even more now. Wow. So listeners, God, I, I hope you got as much uh, value out of this conversation as much as I did. Um, you know, do check out Michelle. She's She's got a wealth of knowledge, a wealth of knowledge about eating, mindful eating. And of course, please remember to check out my link in my bio, which has all my social media links and visit my website, oyana.co. UK. And if you're looking for a mentor or transformational coach, I'm your girl. So check me out. I'll be more than happy to support you. So until next week, uh, thank you for tuning in. Keep learning, live fearlessly, practice gratitude and love unconditionally. This is Carol Oakley. Peace and love to you all. <laughs>